Welcome to Why Sew, the podcast where some of your favorite sewing personalities and rising stars share what motivates them to create using needle and thread. I'm your host, Jason Prater, and with me today is Valerie Wells, professional quilter, author, fabric and pattern designer, painter, photographer. What else can I say? I'm really excited to get to talk to her today and find out all about why she sews. So, hey, Valerie, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I'm certain that some of our, most probably of our listeners know who you are, or have at least heard your name or used your fabrics or patterns or something of the sort, but maybe you can tell them a little about who you are. Well, I've been in the quilting industry since I was born, since my mom started a shop in 1975. So I was a year and a half. So maybe not quite my entire life, but a lot of it what I can remember. Um, So my mom started a shop in 1975, the Stitch and Post. And that same year, she started the Sisters Outdoor Quilt Show. So I've grown up in this industry. And I started fabric designing in 1998 was when my first collection came out. And before that, when I was in college, I studied photography. And my mom asked me to photograph for one of her books. She did a lot of how-to quilting books for C&T Publishing. And so that kind of like, I was going to art school and it really like dove me into this whole beautiful art form of quilting in a different way. I, my mom just had always done it. Right. And I was like, yeah, "Eh, do my own thing. (laughs) And so I kind of fell in love with it. And we started doing books together when I was just out of college. And then I started designing fabric. And so now I run the shop and I run our Cultures Affair event and I still design fabric. Yeah. So I don't really know much different. (laughs) That's pretty fantastic. So early on when you were young, I mean, were you interested in sewing? Did you start sewing at an early age? I mean, or or did you ever sew? I mean, how did that? Well, mom and mom would put me in sewing things all the time, kept me busy. I was a very creative kid, gotten, spent a lot of time in her sewing room. Right. But didn't really like find a love for it until, cause my mom was always like, do what you love, find your passion. And if you want to be an artist, then be an artist. You have to have an A job and a B job and sometimes a C job. And, but you can be an artist, whatever you want. And she never pushed me to go into the store or into her industry at all. And when I was photographing her book, I remember like standing in her studio and staring at all her fabric and like going, you know what, as an artist, you guys have the best palettes ever because you have everything made for you, textures, motifs, all the things. And she had all these hand-dyed fabrics and said, well, here, play around with these and let me like, I didn't sew at the time, but I designed the quilt, right? And it was on the cover of Everything Flowers, which was the first book I ever did the photography for and was a part of with my mom. And that really started it for me. And the, and I very distinctively remember everything about that conversation and, and how it all started. And then, you know, I lived in North Carolina. I had followed a boy, you know, cause we do things like that in our twenties and I couldn't find a job in photography. I was just out of college. And so I ended up working at a quilt shop because I knew how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So I ended up at Randy's 
quilt shop in Greensboro, North Carolina. And my mom and I were working on one of our books through the garden gate. And I decided I'm like, I want to design fabric. And so my mom knew this gal who ran a small division of Springs Industries called Quilters Only, Debbie Stark. And so she got me in touch with Debbie Stark and said, you should go meet her. So I marched myself down to Charlotte, my little portfolio and said, I want to design fabric. (laughs) And she said, okay. And voila, now like 20 plus years later and 40 plus collections. Yeah. And I'm working with Debbie again now at Free Spirits, which is kind of funny. It's like, yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) I love that. So, wow, I guess there's a, there's a, there's a lot in that. So from that point, were you only designing patterns and quilts or were you actually? Oh, I was sewing then. I sewed, I probably, the first quilt I ever made from start to finish, like where I designed it, I sewed it all, I quilted it and everything was when I was living in North Carolina for through the garden gate and I was really homesick. And so I made this quilt based on my mom's garden and she was, (laughs) this is the thing she had. So I love my mom, but she had little faith in the fact that I would actually finish the quilt for the book deadline. (laughs) Okay. That's fine. I get it. (laughs) I totally get it. I mean, I had sewn things before, but not. You're not like this, right? Right. It was like when I was a kid, I was in camp and learned how to sew. So I knew how to do all the stuff, but it wasn't like, ooh, this is exciting passion, yada, yada. So I get this whole quilt done and I pop it in the mail to my mom in Oregon. And I guess she gets it at the store and she opens it up and she starts bawling because of course it's all about her. So that was (laughs) like my first quilt. And then I called and I was so homesick. And so I called my mom and I'm like, I want to move home. Do you have a job? You know, I need a job. And so luckily she had an opening because, and so that was- She was going to make one no matter what, wasn't she? Well, I would have hoped so. But at the same (laughs) time, my mom is not like that, right? She's not the type, I mean, maybe a little, but I think that she's like, she didn't want me coming in with some made up job, right? She had a lot of employees. Good for her. She wanted me coming Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. So I moved back and started working at the shop then and designed fabric. And, you know, with every fabric collection you make, however many quilts and patterns. And so then we started doing patterns wholesale through our shop. So my design business is extremely integrated and all my art is very integrated with the shop. Yeah. So what was your first exposure? I mean, you, you were, you started designing fabric. Had you been to like trade events and shows with your mom to that point, or had you done any of that kind of stuff? Or were you kind of like, did she ever make you like, you know, the booth designer or the this or the that? I mean, how, how, how No, she didn't do stuff like that. The first market I ever attended was when our Everything Flowers book came out, which was before I started designing fabric and before I really started sewing. I just had done the photography. And so I was at that market. Mom had a little like this was when markets were a lot bigger and it was in Portland. So because this was the late 90s and yeah. quilt markets were very different. And so in the front before you would go ever go into the whole quilt market thing there was always these little like preview booths and so we had a little booth there and then when my first line of fabric came out or my second line the through the garden gate we did a booth but I really didn't know any of that stuff I mean all my exposure had been our shop which I grew up in that shop so I've probably absorbed fabric for my entire life (laughs) without realizing it I mean, and I learned how to like, I remember five years old, I learned how to count change and help my mom close the till and help customers. And then just out of high school and I was, I got a job at some sporting goods shop and they couldn't believe that I knew how to count change back. And I'm like, 
doesn't everybody know how to do that? Right. <laughs> Didn't everybody grow up in shock? Yeah. Sometimes that can be uh, both a curse and a blessing, right? It just depends on the personality, who you are. Yeah. yeah. You know, does it drive you away from that or does it pull you into it, right? Yeah, exactly. It sounds like well, maybe it was I a little bit of both for you. I think that because my mom never pushed the business on me or pushed what she did on me, she wanted me to, to find my path. Now, was she thrilled beyond belief that I've come into her industry? And her and I are really close and we work together. Plus, you know, she's one of my best friends. And then we are like art collaborators, right? We teach classes together. We get stuck on something. The first person I call is her mom. What do you think? You know, what's not working and vice versa. So we have a very unique relationship. So, you know, I think because she didn't push me just like I wouldn't, I have three kids. I don't expect any of them to take over my shop. <laughs> and, and my oldest, who is almost 17, will be a senior this year, was like, we were at Cultures Affair this year, which was, you know, the first one in person. Yeah. 2019, which was so exciting. Right. And the buzz and all the people. It was really fun. So my oldest is wanting to actually be a photographer. So and we always need PR photos. So I would send her around the classes during that week. And someone asked her, she was going to take over the shop. And she's like, you know, I watch my mom and I see how hard she works. Absolutely not. <laughs> now, she's like, she loves it. Sure. Surely she, she might change her mind on that. Right. She might. I, I think this young. She totally might. I at, eight, at 17 would have said the exact same thing. I would have been like, hell no. Yeah, so but, but working the, hard, working hard, your views on working hard, I bet were slightly different than her views on working hard. I mean, I have a 19-year-old and a 20-year-old girls, and I, I don't feel like they understand what working hard means yet. You know, they don't know. Work. Not yet. I didn't at that age either. Yeah. I didn't understand what working hard really meant until I was like, I want to be a fabric designer, plus I want to work in the shop. and. I want to make a living being an artist. And that's when I was like, and I also watched my mom who, who is an extremely hard worker. So my role model was that. Now, granted, I would have to say there was to a certain extent, there was warped sort of sense of work, like, mm. like an, every, an unhealthy sense of work. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that it's only been recently that I've changed my I've reframed my thought process on work and hard work and what it means to like, I spent so much of my career, like everything I did in my studio somehow or another had to make me money or make the shop money. Like what everything we did, everything I did. And so I never, I didn't spend a lot of time doing art to do art, mm -hmm. just to explore who I am, just to find that like, find your bliss, right? Mm. You're an artist. And when you do your stuff, you find your bliss. So I am recently divorced. And in that process of grief and all that comes with that, I thought I lost my creative mojo. Like I was doing some things, but it all felt super hard and none of it, it was just hard. And this spring I had decided to do the hundred day project on Instagram. And I gave myself some parameters, like one, if you don't post every day, it's not the end of the world. Have grace with yourself. 
to, I decided I was printing, right? Because that's what I love to do. I have hundreds of blocks. So I'm like, I'm printing my blocks and I'm just going to explore color. And what does that mean? And what is it? What happens? Because I'm always fascinated with like a colored fabric and colored ink on the top and the layers and what happens and how colors play with each other. And so I started doing this and I got lots of questions like, what are you going to do with all this fabric? And, you know, my mom would be like, which I love her, but this is part of the reason why I had to change this perspective. She's like, so you should pull these into some fabric collection and da da da. And I'm like, whoa, this is the first time that I'm sitting down and doing this with no intentions and no idea what the heck I'm going to do with this fabric. I'm just going to explore. I'm just going to give myself permission every day to do something that brings me so much joy. And in that process, I was fascinated with how my perception of time is sometimes warped in the sense that like, oh, I don't have time to print. I have too many things to do. And it was like, it would take me a half an hour and I do this print and I'd feel great. And then I move on to the next thing. And it was a fast and it probably took me 200 days to do this. Right. (laughs) Which again, I had a lot of grace with myself and I'm like, oh, there it is. It sounds like it was sort of therapeutic for you though. Right. I mean, I I hear that. Yeah. Oh my God. One of the most therapeutic things I've ever done for myself. One of the best self-care things I've done because self-care is hard when you're a parent and a business owner and things like that. You, you put yourself last on the list. And the last year and a half, I had to learn that that isn't probably the best option for me to be an optimal parent or an optimal boss. I have to put myself first in there. And so throughout this whole journey of doing this hundred day project, I was like changing my perception on time. Like I work hard. So I now know that I can go in, I can work hard and then I can go play. Mm -hmm. And that just because I go play, it doesn't mean like, it doesn't mean I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. Right. That there's this intense off balance that I had, that I was always supposed to work. And that was a major issue in my marriage is that I always work. So Now I love my work, right? So there's that. But the more I find a balance between, boom, I'm focusing, getting my work done. And then in the afternoon when it's hot, my kids and I are going paddleboarding. And that balance has made me more efficient in my work. I'm more creative. I'm more organized. I'm more driven to, with my employees, find their magic, help them be able to do that so they don't need me as much. So it's like, which is a whole different way from running the shop or doing things that my mom did, right? Just, so, just staying like, busy to be busy, right? Staying busy because of the panic of not having enough money or you always have to make a good living or, you know, you should figure out how you can make money off that, right? And which is great to a certain extent, right? It makes me very driven and creative about how to generate new ideas and do other things. But it also can obviously has been very stifling to my creativity to a certain extent. So yeah, that's my new exploration right now is working hard and playing hard and finding that balance to how you like, how does that affect your entire life? Like how you parent and how you interact with people, the ideas you get, um, all that stuff. Tricky, isn't it? So how often do you get to create? So quilt, whatever, just, just for fun. I mean, do, do you do that for fun? Do you make gifts for people ever? Do you make things for your own home? How, how much time do you get to spend doing that versus actually doing it because you have to? Yeah. Well, most of my career is 
I would probably say 80% of it was always because I had to, or because I need, you know, because, you know, support the family or whatever. Now I'm getting better at adjusting that percentage so that I do more things just because I want to. And it's just like being creative because I want to maybe not always like I haven't made a quilt in a while. And I was contemplating this the other day because I'm like, dang it, I need to do that. But I realize, but the thing is, is that that's just a demand on myself and I'm never going to like enjoy it in the same way. So I'm like, you know what? It'll come. The time will come. I sew lots of other things. Like I'm constantly sewing, but. What sort have, of things? Oh, I block print a lot of stuff, right? So I sew zipper pouches and make bags. I helped my kid make some stuffed animals. I mean, we do some things like that. I, I do think- a lot of hand stitching of my little block prints and stuff. Cause I love sometimes just making something small and attainable. And that doesn't take a lot of time, but it's this beautiful little, like it can be like a 30 minute meditation where you just stitch for a while. Right. No. Yeah. Maybe you have an idea. Maybe you don't. You just like the colors. Now, so when you say hand stitching, do you mean like hand embroidery or like yeah. actual construction stitching by hand? Oh, some of both. Sometimes I do English paper piecing, but not as much. <laughs> I'm not to me that that isn't, like, I like it. It's not as meditative for me as like, I take small pieces of like indigo printed fabric that, that I've dyed and then I'll block print on it. And, and they're usually like five by five ish sort of things. And then I'll take just a variety of embroidery floss and just stitch. I don't do complicated stitches. Yeah. Like I love Sue Spargo and it's like, she's so fun to go in and see all her stitches. And I always look at them and go, I'll stick to my running stitch and my, <laughs> and my French knots. Cause I love them. That's fantastic. Uh, Two questions about that. Well, I think I read somewhere that you keep saying you do block printing and not because I'm sort of ignorant to this, I guess, and maybe some of our listeners are, but I think I read somewhere where you hand carve your own blocks. Did I read that correctly? These are wooden things. No, they're not. I don't use wood. I um, I used to do wood, but wood is very difficult. (laughs) In college, I did a lot of I did a ton of printmaking because the art school that I went to had very limited number of photography electives for me to take. And once I took them all, I'm like, I need some credits. So I started taking printmaking and I fell in love with block printing. So block printing is relief print, relief printing, where you have a surface and you carve out areas that you don't want ink to go on. And that becomes whatever your background is, whether it's paper or fabric. And then once you carve everything out, you roll it with ink and then you stamp. Although I hate that word. (laughs) Why? It's like, I need, it's kind of like when someone calls a quilt a blanket, (laughs) when someone calls one of my blocks a stamp, it's the same sort of feeling that arises. (laughs) Those same sensations of, I know you don't mean it, but seriously, because stamps to me are something that's like manufactured, right? right, Done right. By a machine. I sit and I, I get it. put my drawing on my block and I have these awesome little Japanese tools. So I use two different materials right now. I use this, the Japanese make all the great block printing stuff. And it's this synthetic vinyl that is fairly easy to cut. It's not as hard as like linoleum. And mm. then but it holds really fine detail and it doesn't like, like they'll probably be around forever, right? Mm. Maybe not a good thing, but, and then sometimes I use the speedball product and it's more rubbery, a little bit thicker and it holds detail. Okay. But after a while, like if you're rough with your blocks and you print them a lot, it'll start kind of pulling, 
breaking apart. You don't um, get this crisp of print or something. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. After a while, if you print them a ton, I have some blocks that I used a, a different material that I don't use anymore. And this is why is that after I printed them a lot, I lost my nice clean edges just okay. from the washing and all that stuff. So, yeah. So I take, I do most all my fabric in the past, I don't know, six or seven years, maybe a little bit longer, have all been designed, inspired by my block prints. So I'll carve things and print them and then we turn them into fabric design. So, so give me some perspective on that. How big a pattern do you create from your block printing? I mean, how big is a particular block? And then how big do you make that before you say, okay, now I'm going to repeat this on yards of fabric? Well, there's a lot to that question. So first off, I kind of, my blocks are best described as like a library of things. So I like to layer. So I have a wide variety of blocks, whatever sizes, right? One of the great things about technology is that I can take whatever size block I want and I can put it into Illustrator and I can resize it for a commercial product, right? For something right. that someone's going to use. Because like I did a hummingbird collection with Free Spirit. And the hummingbird blocks that I carved because they were so detailed were like 12 by 18. They were big. That's not going to sell on fabric for a quilter. <laughs> so, you know, you have to think about these things. Right. We shrunk that baby down, but I couldn't have carved it that small. So the carving really happens on, it's purely a whim. Like I do a drawing and I'm like, oh, there it is. I don't change the size. I just do it. And then I carve. And so then I have all these, I have three big flat drawers full of blocks. Some blocks are repeated blocks that they have this funky design. And when you repeat it, it starts creating other designs, right? Mm. So then you get this really like, and it's square. So that's an easy repeat. Other times I have lots of like motifi blocks. So I have simple geometrics that I use like in a background. And then, you know, you put bees and butterflies and flowers on the top. And so those repeats just, I don't always create those repeats when I'm printing the fabric. A lot of times how I approach the fabric design is I have an idea and I just start carving with no idea of like, oh, I like all these sort of themes together or whatever. Right. Or this is my last one was Enchanted and it was inspired by my trip in 2019 to Morocco. And so I'll just start printing. It with no intent, no demand, no nothing, just like, I know this will be a fabric collection sometime. And so then from that, I get all these different prints, different ideas. And then I start pulling the parts that I think could be interesting for quilting fabric, right? Some stuff is going to be purely like, oh, that was just for me. That was kind of fun. I like that design, but no one's going to buy it but me, <laughs> right? And there's some of those that happen. They're like, damn it. So then it goes into the computer and I then like take the parts that I like, or maybe there's one that I layered just perfectly and I love it and I'll put it into some sort of repeat. Yes. It does. It does. It's, fa <laughs> it's fascinating to me how all of that can come together in an artist's mind. Actually, my brain doesn't work that way. So <laughs> uh, I love hearing about the process for sure. So my other question was going to be, in your hand embroidery, have you ever used our 12-weight cotton? It's like the perfect thing yeah. for doing hand embroidery. And you want to know who's like the biggest fan of it that introduced me to it is my mom. She's ah, obsessed with the I, silky 12-weight. I love it. Um, yeah, absolutely obsessed with it. I've used it some. I have a friend, Laura Wazlowski, who hand dyes 
like thread. And a lot of times I like really thin, like she has a 12 and then she has an eight and they're multicolored. And so sometimes uh, I yeah, use those. Very cool. and it really depends for me is like what I'm in the mood for. Um, yeah. But my mom loves it and I've used it some. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, beyond your fabric, I'm not going to call it stamping. I almost said stamping. Oh. <laughs> it's okay. I really be, am be, not that Beyond good. your block printing of fabric, <laughs> when you're actually sewing, when, when you're in your sewing room and you're sewing, are there any notions or gadgets or things of that nature that you just have to have, like that are your, your favorite things? You know, because that's, that's so interesting because, you know, I learned to sew so young when there wasn't a lot of fancy notions and gadgets, right? So I think that it was, we had just like the basic stuff. And then when I really decided, I'm like, I want to make quilts and I'd start, I had moved home and my mom and I would work in her studio together. And that's when I did like several of my books. I did a, a couple of books on my own, Stitch and Flip and Radiant New York Beauties and a few other ones. And when I think that like the biggest things that was, is that we did things pretty simple. We didn't have a lot of gadgets. You know, you have iron, a great iron is always the best thing in the whole world. Saves like bad pressing ruins the piece, right? Yes. And so an iron is essential. I hear that often in these podcasts. Oh, that's my biggest love would be my iron and my Bernina. But as far as like funky tools, I don't know. I love Violet Craft has this roller that when I do paper piecing, I love. That would be one gadget. And I'm not a, because I'm obviously not a gadget girl, but that is one that I think is essential. My big, huge mats (laughs) and my big ruler, my rotary cutter, those are essential. So you're you're a rotary cutter girl, not a a scissor girl. Oh, I love my Kai scissors. Love them. Love them, love them. So they're definitely, but I a rotor cut for sure. But you know, there's a lot of times where some of my favorite quilts that I like to make are usually like, or what I've made most recently are like more free form. So I don't, I may use a rotary color, but I'm not going to use a ruler because I like that improv sort of piecing. The the super precision repetitive piecing, like a log cabin that you're making a hundred blocks. That one for me is. It's just not my mojo. It's not my thing. <laughs> it seems now, very type A, which would not describe you. <laughs> now, a hundred blocks like freeform log cabins, that is my thing. And so that's kind of the type of quilter I am. And it's funny because I didn't used to be that way. I did all the things, like all the real basic, like learning how to quilt, how to cut, how to like make certain blocks and stuff like that. And then, then I would get obsessive. Like, so I got super obsessive about stitch and flip, which is like a crazy patch, right? And the foundation, you put the foundation muslin, then do your center, blah, blah, blah. And so that first quilt that I made for my mom was all based on that. Cause she had taught me that before I moved to North Carolina and I fell in love with it and got obsessive. So I made this whole big quilt for her. And, and then I just got so many ideas that I did a book. And then I was bored with that. <laughs> so mom taught me how to do New York beauty. And I'm like, oh, now these are interesting. And what so can I then, do with that? What exactly? <laughs> and then she didn't just teach me how to do somebody's New York beauty. She taught me how to draft my own. And that started a whole new thing. And I did an entire book on that. <laughs> so 
slightly obsessive personality, but I, I like things kind of, I don't know, a little bit different, I guess. Yeah. Cool. So are you, are you working on anything right now? Like, what are you sewing right now? Or what are you creating right now? You know, it's funny because we just got done with Quilters Affair beginning of July. And I do a whole bunch. My mom and I, we have a we have a wall in our shop. We have a pretty big shop. And we have a wall in our shop that is our fiber gallery arts wall. And every July, my mom and I will have a show up there. So I had spent several months in the studio getting all my stuff ready for the show. And then you do Quilters Affair and then you need like, a month off. It's like ridiculous. <laughs> You're so tired. Time to download. And then you, then you beginning of August is when like you start planning the next show. Right. So I haven't done, and it's been hot and my studio is super hot. So I haven't done a lot in the studio, but usually I usually take like this little hermit period, right. Where you like, you stew on ideas. And so I have mm-hmm. a ton of ideas. I have a new series of classes I want to do with block printing. And there's some quilts I want to make, things like that, but nothing's really started yet. So that that'll start in August, which, and then I'm prepping for my, a really good friend of mine and I do creative retreats in Bali and Morocco, which obviously have been on hiatus for a few years Yeah. So in November. So excited. We're going back to Morocco and we have two separate weeks of retreats and on our retreats, we bring I do we do a lot of block printing and hand stitching and photography and things like that, all based on our adventures and classes that we take and stuff. So cool. I'll be prepping a bunch of stuff for our retreats and making sure, you know, come up coming up with some fun things to do. So. I was gonna I was gonna ask you when you said you were planning in your mind a whole series of classes, where those were offered. Is that in person oh. with just these retreats, do you do virtual classes or these in the shop, all of the above? Well, well, here's the thing, you know, COVID. Okay. So you asked me questions. So you're going to get a lot of history with this. Cause it's like, it's classes are essential to our shop. When my mom started the shop, the reason she started is because she was teaching these continuing ed sewing classes at our community college and sisters or in Bend. So right next to us. And she would drive to Portland to Daisy kingdom. If you remember back in the day, Daisy Kingdom was a huge fabric shop in Portland. Anyway, and she would buy supplies for her students and then come back. And finally, Pat, who owns Daisy Kingdom, said, Gene, open your own shop. There was Shank. You could go into Shank, get your stuff. Boom, your shop. So that's why she opened her shop was because she wanted supplies for her students. So our entire shop has always been built on education. And it's foundation. We're, it's all we love. That's our thing, right? Educate, fire, all those things, right? So when COVID hit, and education is a big part of our business too. So so I had sitting in my little toolbox is my mom, who's an epic teacher. And then one of my dearest friends who I would really consider my auntie is Rosalie Dace from Mm. Durban, South Africa. And she's a well-known fiber artist and teaches. So we decided that we were going to start doing online classes. We had to figure this out because it was a way we wanted to keep our community together. We missed our people. Yeah. And the way to keep our store afloat was to create a community connection, even though we couldn't see each other anymore. So we started all these online classes and I did online block printing classes and things like that. And that was really good for us for, you know, for those two years, it was awesome. And, you know, now we're getting back into like filling classes at our shop. Well, what I teach is pretty specific. 
since I'm an obsessive person, <laughs> I only teach things that I am obsessed about. And I really, really love because it, I'm a much better teacher that way. Yeah. I don't come by it naturally in the same way as my mom is a natural. It's in her DNA to be a teacher. She could teach uh, carpentry or anything, right? Probably if she's just a good teacher. Yes. That's how those folks yeah. operate. She's one of the, it's her magic. And it was what, it's what she's meant to do. That is how she inspires and spreads to the world, right? We're all meant to do something other than just consume and be here. <laughs> so with my people, I have a limited number of people that in are going to come to Central Oregon and take a block printing class for me. So I'm putting together some classes that would be like, it's a month, a month like a three month series that mm-hmm. it would be once a month, but it would be an in-person and Zoom at the same time so that I can reach my community and my people that ones that can actually make it here and be in person, but then the ones that can never make it to sisters. It's not like we're yeah. a destination to get to. So, and I always like to test these ideas out before I put them on my mother. <laughs> so, cause she'll be next. I'll be like, mom, let's try that. <laughs> um, cause her and I did this spring. We did a, a six month series with a bunch of, of students that it was a guided journey. So they brought their own stuff every, and we talked through it and, you know, so it was kind of a personal thing and we had people from everywhere. And it's like, I don't want to lose connection with those people just because we're now doing in-person classes again. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's important because we just created this beautiful new community. And so, yeah, so we're integrating how to do that. So I love it. Hybrid model. Yeah. Exactly. Why not? You got to think outside the box. Yeah. It's not black or white. It's not just in person or just Zoom or whatever. So we have a pretty full schedule in the fall. And um, so we'll probably start those at the beginning of the year. Very cool. And it gives me time to like really hone in what I want to do. And then while I figure those things out, that's what I tend to post is like, all my exploring and experimenting. And then that gets people excited. So then maybe they'll take the classes in January, February, and March. <laughs> right. Love it. So Very. I know your mom has been huge influence uh, on your life, especially as it relates to, to the sewing and quilting industry. But are there any other makers, other people, you know, that you've come in contact along the way, people that have helped you in some way or that you admire from afar very specifically that have impacted you as well? I don't, I've never taken a class from her or anything like that, but I've known her for years because she comes here and teaches a lot and she's a close family friend. And I love how much she knows about art and artists. Cause that's, what's fascinating to me is how she takes these artists that they're not quilters or anything like that. And she finds this cool way to interpret what they do and then turn it into her quilt and be inspired by this artist. Right. And so like, whenever I'm kind of stuck on inspiration, I'm like, Rosalie, <laughs> send me some artists to look at. <laughs> I, uh, I would say, you know, Tula Pink is one of my dear friends and has been someone that I truly appreciate because we can have great conversations about art and business. And, you know, it's always great to have friends in the industry that can understand what you're doing and you can understand what they're doing, but that there's like not a lot of, there's no ego involved, right? There's no, like, I don't feel a competition with her at all. Um, 
I, I hear that theme over and over. Uh, I think our industry is very much that way. We we can be competitors and be friends and and be helpful uh, to each other. I, I've seen that over and over well, and over. It's no win-win when you're like that. Like, you know, one of the things that's really important to me when I like invite teachers to come teach at our Cultures Affair conference, right? There's, I have 27 teachers that I bring in. You know, it's five days of classes. They either teach between four and five days. We have lots of events and they kind of have to, we live in a small town, so they kind of have to rely on each other to get from A to B. And they have to, so I'm really specific about who I invite. Like, it's really important to me that what I bring into our classes are people who bring something unique to the table, right? Mm. And two, that I've heard they're good teachers. Because in the past, I've, I've hired some prima donnas that have been like, <laughs> not doing this again. All of a sudden, the apples that are around them start turning brown, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and like no drama, like there can't be drama. And I like to hire people that I know are these open-minded souls, right? That just love to sit and talk about what they do. And that's what these teachers do at night is they sit and connect. And they learn from each other and they have these amazing conversations. And then what happens is they go into the classroom and they're the best teachers that we could ask for, right? And then the students are like oh, absorbing all that mojo. And, you know, it was so cool this year. Our Because we run out our entire high school, right? And so wow. everybody takes, <laughs> you go back to high school for Cultures Affair. That's fantastic. And it's awesome. And, you know, the cool <laughs> part, and then like, like we hire teams to help us out, right? It's how we support our community, you know, fundraisers, things like that. So the volleyball team was our team this year. They were awesome. And so you have all these teenagers running around, moving your stuff and all these people taking classes and, you know, the buzz by like Friday was so cool because, you know, I'd go into a classroom and it's like, oh my gosh, I took this class earlier this week and now I'm utilizing that information in this one. And then we're doing this. And it was like the coolest thing. And, and maybe it's because it'd been two years, right? Yeah. Since we've had that buzz, since we've had that, that creative flow that was just epic. And, at, you know, so it was like, I have so, you know, we had all these amazing teachers and it's like a lot of them were new. They'd never taught for us before. And then we had our like regulars and like Tula came and taught for us and she doesn't really teach anymore. Yeah. And she had agreed to come this year. And, and I didn't think she'd come again. I figured this was her last teaching gig. And, you know, we were talking afterwards and she's like, you know, I would come to this event again, but not because you're my friend. And I'm like, <laughs> thanks. She says, no, because I think, thanks. Uh, yeah. I think <laughs> I said, well, no, it's because I run a really good event. And she said, exactly. And you're, a, you're, a, you're a teacher plus you're a business owner. So like you have a different perspective on running an event comparatively to an event that isn't run by somebody who also teaches and know what it's like to go out and teach. Yeah. So, you know, I think that we have some of the most amazing people in our industry and these people that like, they don't have big egos. They like to share their knowledge and, you know, it's just, it's just a cool thing. It I means a cool industry to work in. Granted, it's hard to explain to people sometimes especially with the way I look. And I just started dating again. So hard to explain that I'm a quilter and a fabric designer. <laughs> Try explaining being in this business when you're a younger man. Yeah, I can bet you that would be hard. <laughs> you do what? I'm from South Louisiana. And most of my friends are, you know, in the 
oil and gas industry and I work in the thread business. Like what? For 30 plus years, you know, like, oh, yeah. Right. Try that. It makes for very interesting conversations. Indeed. Indeed. So tell me something that is uh, that you've not done in sewing or quilting that is kind of on your bucket list. Is there a technique or a, something that you've been telling yourself, you know what, there I, is a quilt that I want to try There's a, definitely a quilt that I want to make that I've never made. And it's going to sound super silly because it's like, it's not all that difficult, but I really want to make a Lone Star quilt. Oddly enough, cool. I'll probably never do it. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. You'll <laughs> put your own know. spin on it, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, you know, I do, I have after the, so after that hundred day project, I have 91 fat quarters. Cause nine of those days I was showing stitching and other things like that. So I have 91 fat quarters and I'm like, all right, there's a quilt in there somewhere. Cause I love using block printed fabric in my quilts and I like how it makes something completely different. And so now I'm, I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for the inspiration <laughs> Did. Maybe I'll make a Lone Star out of it. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Now, Valerie, when you're not sewing, what might we find you doing? I know you're a photographer and you do all sorts of other art, but what other things are you into? What do, what do you like to do? Right now, I would say, because you know that stuff always changes, right? So this summer, this is how I'm going to put it, is like definitely it's going out and doing photo shoots with my kids. My oldest wants to do photography. So we're building her portfolio and we do fun things. Like we got steampunk costumes and we went up to Shahaley Falls, which is about two hours up in the mountains. And we did a photo shoot. Cool. Shock the tourists, which is also very fun. But so we, lo- I love doing that stuff. It's amazing because I love seeing what my daughter sees and then what I see. And I hadn't, the camera had been kind of quiet for a while and she's like, sparked a whole new bug in me and it's so fun. So, and it just reminded me of that was always my original passion and it's always been there and it has been my kind of like source for material, right? Like I always Mm. take photos and that's the material I usually draw my fabric designs from. Now I'm finding that like, it's bigger than that again, which is kind of fun. So I love going out taking photos with her and then paddleboarding right now is my big thing. Cause when my kids are at their dad's, I'm like, I got to keep myself busy mostly at night. Cause my house is too quiet without three kids. Right. <laughs> and so I try to keep myself busy. So I try to get done with work by early afternoon and then go up to the lake until sunset. And so that's been like epically rewarding. Like, you know, I got my sketchbook, I got my camera, I got some food. Good to go. Very cool. Yeah, I love it. Well, I've always said that I always try to wrap up uh, our podcast with this one particular question. I'm, I'm, I'm curious uh, for your answer. I've always kind of said that as an industry, you know, we're not really we're not selling threads and notions and fabrics. But the thing that if we could bottle it up and sell it is that certain sense of satisfaction, of pride that one gets from creating something. Would you agree with that? And how has that idea or that concept, if you believe it, uh, sort of shaped your career and what you do? If I could bottle up how good it feels to make something, I think that it's not just like, and it's so cliche, right? Here's the, I'm really good at the cliche things sometimes. 
So it's cliche to me is that that's why they're cliche, right? (laughs) But I think it's beautiful. Is that truly what I think it's the process it's in the moment and what you're doing in the moment that brings all the bliss and all the joy and it keeps me grounded and it leaves me rejuvenated. And then it's epically cool that I have something as a result, right? But the end result isn't always the joy. I mean, it's joyful, but it's, there's something more for me about that process, the process from the spark of an idea that sometimes, you know, stew for a long time. And then getting that idea out, going through the ebbs and flows of the creative process. And then, you know, the parts that are like, oh, this is just the labor, right? I'm just sewing the things together. I know how to do it. And then, but there's, there's so much in all of that process that to me is what I think should be bottled up. Like, and then it's epic at the end. You have like some amazing quilt and, you know, it makes you super happy, but it really is that process is like, I think as a society, we spend so much time projecting our future or reminiscing about our past and we miss the moment. We miss sometimes, I mean, cause those things are important to, right. to live a good life, right? You have to pro- project to a certain extent. You have to learn from your past and make better choices. But what we don't do enough of is 100% be in the moment. And that to me is that process, right? When I'm carving, I am in the moment. Like sometimes other things will pop in. I'll mm-hmm. think about it. But sometimes it's like ideas and da, da, da. But it's not like all that other stuff that we tend yeah. to think about. It's the, about that process. The journey, not the destination. Yeah. So corny, but I love it. Yeah. So true. Well. I don't think we could have ended on a better thought. I love that perspective and how you think about that. So Valerie, it was fantastic talking to you. Thanks for agreeing to do the podcast with us. I appreciate you taking time out of your day and really enjoyed speaking with you. Well, thank you. Super fun. Thank you so much. So if our listeners want to learn more about you, if they don't already know, is the best place for them to go ValerieWells.com at V-A-L-O-R-I- Or would you prefer the Stitch and Post? Stitch and Post is my shop. My website, unfortunately, has is it's not very up to date. Instagram always see my most current obsessive mojo, and then the Stitch and Post were like intertwined. Although awesome. I do have on my list to update my website, so yeah, <laughs> at some point, hopefully this month. <laughs> there you go. Right. Well, well, Valerie, thanks again. It was a pleasure talking to you. Hopefully, maybe someday down the way, we'll see each other in person at a show or something. Yeah, great. Thank you. Take care, Valerie. You have a good day. Thank you for listening to Why So With Sulky. Give us a rating or a review and be sure to shop your favorite Sulky products, including threads, stabilizers, kits, and more at sulky.com.